When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today. With J.P. McNamara on C103. And a very good morning to you, JP, until one with Cork Today in for Patricia. Bernie, take in your calls and comments. If there's something you want to raise on the show or discuss, you can call Bernie now, 0818-103-103 or text or WhatsApp, 0862-103-103. And ahead on this morning's show, we're going to hear about a cross-community effort in the Blackwater region of Cork as they welcome Ukrainian refugees fleeing war and what exactly is being planned for that area. Also, why a castle in should be reopened for major outdoor gigs. Now, many of you may have uh, attended the gigs over the years in Connor. It would have been in the late 80s and 90s. It housed gigs such as Meatloaf and others would have played there over the years. So, as live music now is back, and a lot of uh, live music venues now are the likes of castles and are held outside of old castles. So, could this be a, an opening for the community in the Connor area? And what could it bring to that region? Uh, we'll be discussing that later on the programme and I think this is something a lot of people uh, will identify with we're going to hear about uh, this is called a walk to a wider education and it's one man who is raising funds for schools to provide assessments where students can be diagnosed if they are dyslexic so then they can get a better start in school life I mean, there's a lot of people that we have spoken to over the years, be that in a profession or people who have just rang the comment line, who have realised in their 30s and 40s that they are dyslexic. But if they had known that in primary school and in secondary school, they feel they would have had a better run at life. They would have got better results and they wouldn't be sitting in the classroom wondering why maybe the the guy or girl next to them is doing better. And whatever they do, they simply just can't intake or, or, or can't figure out what is going on when you are told then the reason but at least you know and that is still the case for many people in our school system and that is why Timmy Long you may know Timmy from the Two Norris podcast he's telling his story publicly and how if he was diagnosed earlier in his life he feels his life could have been totally different and others I'm sure uh, will identify with that or will know people in the classroom who may be uh, in a certain way may have been told you know you, you don't have the brains you, you can't do this where they have the brains and many people went on to be very successful uh, but it was just the way the education system was and still is unfortunately to this day so we'll discuss that on the programme this morning after 11 o'clock also 
We're going to hear why, and this is happening at the end of this week, the Jersey Island cable car, it's closing, but still no alternatives are being put in place. And again, even as late as last night and this morning, it seems that the department are blaming the council and Cork County Council are saying there's a lack of engagement from the department and it's back and forth. But we're going to speak with those who live and work on the islands and we're going to hear the impacts it will have on them when this cable car will stop working at the end of this week. Uh, We'll be discussing that later in the programme as well. And following on our discussion yesterday, and this was with what happened at the Oscars, and I mean, we we spoke yesterday with our entertainment man, Crossy, uh, on the confrontation between Will Smith and Chris Rock over comments Rock made about Will Smith's wife, uh, Jada. And basically, this was to do with the fact he he mocked her hair. Uh, She has alopecia. He maybe wasn't aware of it, but still it opens up the debate of no one should mock someone about their look or about their hair or anything because you don't know what someone is going through. And uh, Jada wasn't very happy if you look at the video of the comments. Initially, Will Smith did smile, but I think he realised afterwards his wife wasn't happy and uh, majority of our listeners uh, backing Will Smith on what he did, saying, look, we all would have done the same thing. He, uh, you, you stand up for your family, you protect your loved ones and that's what he was doing. And I think the comment Will Smith made afterwards was that if you're on the public limelight, you expect it, but you don't expect your loved ones, you know, your siblings, your wife, your, your, your friends to be brought into that level of public scrutiny, whereby if you're in the life yourself, a public life, you, you do, you, you know, it's part of, of the job, I suppose, and especially when you're in Hollywood but it opens up the debate about how we treat others just full stop and should we really question ourselves if you're going to comment on someone's appearance like for example the hair that's why we're going to do the discuss later after midday alopecia and the issues of hair loss and how that can be very sensitive for both men and women uh, we'll discuss that later in the programme your views are welcome and also our regular counsellor Joe Heffernan will join us as we discuss trauma a lot of trauma in the world these days and we'll go through that with Joe later in the programme and we're giving you a chance to win all this week with the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. Uh, they're celebrating 25 years in business and we've got amazing prizes to give away every day, including we gave away yesterday afternoon tea and today you could be winning a Leisure Centre membership. How about a dip in their pool? Well, that's today's prize also. As the week goes on, we'll have dinner to give away, overnight stays and much more with the Celtic Ross Hotel celebrating 25 years of hospitality in Ross Carberry. See CelticRossHotel.com. We will give you a trivia question. And as the hotel is celebrating 25 years in business, our trivia question, like yesterday, is going to be based on the last 25 years. We'll give you that question later in the show. If you know the answer, you text in the answer with your name and details and you can win yourself today at three months Leisure Centre membership at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. So that and more to come between now and one. Our lines are open. Your views are welcome. 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And a lot of people commenting this morning on the fact that Ireland now uh, officially late yesterday evening after 8 o'clock a statement from the government to say that they have withdrawn from its bid to hold the Americans Cup yachting competition in Cork in 2024. So it means now Cork will lose out on hosting this competition which is the most high profile yachting race in the world expecting now that this will go to Barcelona as they were the others who were in for this bid and it looks like they will win that bid now as Ireland has pulled out but 
Uh, many this morning on text have mixed views on this. Uh, hi to Joe who says, uh, while I do feel that this is a knock for Cork, it was going to cost the state a lot of money. And maybe in the long run we will have saved money. Uh, while Elizabeth saying, I wonder if this was held elsewhere in Ireland for the likes, for example, Dublin. Would we be having this conversation? We'd all have to pay the money then, but I think it would have been kept if in Dublin. Maybe the reason it was for Cork that they decided to pull out. Nonetheless, it would have been a huge economic benefit to Cork and whatever the cost was to the country, they would have made it back over the years due to the economic benefit of holding the race, the people coming here, visiting, and yes, an elite sport, but they would bring money with them to invest in the area. I think it's a big loss for Ireland. And this is from Avril who says it would have to be held in Cork. Dublin could not hold this because of the harbour size. Cork has a natural harbour and that's why it would only be hosting if in Ireland only in Cork. But I do think it's a pity we have lost out on this. It would have been a huge opportunity to showcase Cork and indeed the entire Munster region, not to mind the knock-on benefit for the economy locally, says Avril on text to 0862103103. And then while people are saying it's a very elitist sport and some agreeing that maybe you know the money we need it in other sectors now and it should be saved and spent in other sectors and not on something like this where then you have the, the, the flip argument then about the economic size what I would have brought the Cork and I know the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Simon Coveney, he did champion this bid last summer, uh, but a lot of his colleagues in government, they were, weren't really backing him on this and they wanted more and more time to examine the case for supporting this bid. And then last night it came out that the Minister for Arts, Sports and Tourism, Catherine Martin, decided to go along and not go for the bid with the uh, Junior Minister for Sport, Jack Chambers. So uh, maybe a bit of a disappointment there for Simon Coveney that his own colleagues were aren't willing to back this. Uh, many locally are hoping that they'll bid again in the future, but it is a big disappointment. Anyhow, your views welcome. Uh, do you agree with some of our listeners who feel while we will save money as a state, I wonder if this was going to be held in Dublin, would we be all paying for it nonetheless? And it would go ahead. Was Cork the reason why? And others saying it's a very elitist sport, but the knock-on effect would have been huge for the Cork area. Uh, your views are welcome. 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. I know a lot of councillors were... Uh, out last night uh, in their comments both city and county councillors and they were saying that they're very disappointed in our ministers and that the costs would have been millions to host but the economic benefit would have paid off over the next 20 years and some were actually getting ready for it and they say that Cork County Council was assured that they were ready and waiting to play their part and now this has happened so uh, your views are welcome on that and views also on the pumps because the price of premium fuel has again gone over two euros and this is you know the plus fuels you'll get in some of the petrol stations well that now has gone over two euro but still the standard diesel price is below two euro roughly at around 192 so it's going anything from 185 to 195 uh, but still because of the barrel is increasing uh, again last night we could see the normal petrol as opposed to the plus petrol going up around the two euro mark again and diesel going over the two euro marks so we could see again, uh, no matter what was done and no matter what happens with the cuts that they made, wasn't it just three weeks ago uh, when they cut fuel duty by 20 cents a litre to beat and, and put the cost back down? It seems they are, as we know, will gradually increase again and again and they go up faster than they go down, as we know. And I think at this stage, 
Everybody knows someone that has been struck down by COVID-19, has been infected with the disease and is isolating at the moment. And because of the fact that thousands of people at this stage are isolating and not in work because of that, uh, many have been asking, are restrictions going to be brought in? Well, no, no plans. It seems to reintroduce any restrictions. That's coming from the Health Minister, Stephen Donnelly. Uh, Mr Donnelly yesterday evening said serious measures would be needed to reduce the surge of infections, but... Again, he reiterated the advice that came from Tony Houlihan, the chief medical officer, uh, that there's no need for new COVID rules. And the view across government, according to political reporters last night, is that COVID is now so out of control that there is little point in trying to rein it in. In other words, let it rip because the alternative wouldn't be doable anymore. And an emergency department task force is to request the public health measures to be reintroduced by the government. And this is because of chaos situations within hospitals, EDs, emergency departments. They're writing uh, to both the CMO and indeed Stephen Donnelly and they were writing to them yesterday evening for the measures to be brought in but no real uh, appetite in government anyhow for anything to be brought in. And I was talking to Bernie beforehand and she made a very interesting point. There's so many people now who have COVID and are doing their adjutant tests at home and showing their positive. Many people just stay in for seven days and that's it. Uh, but with almost 40,000 cases reported over the last three days alone and that is through PCR tests and home antigen tests and this is all because of the highly contagious BA2 variant that's ripping across the country at the moment. Uh, I wonder how true those figures are because is everybody going to go on to the HSE website and register that they are positive? Uh, I did at, at the last week when I was when I had it and some of my mates did but it's true. I mean, I didn't even think about it until someone said it. It's not something you're thinking of doing when you're sick and a lot of people may not do it. So the figures could be a lot higher than what they're being reported. Anyhow, there is no uh, plans to reintroduce any measures at the moment, uh, despite what indeed is being spoken about from that emergency task force. And just staying with health for the moment, any of you who have gone along to a car park in a hospital will know it's a costly affair. Well, wait for this. The HSC took in over €5 million Euros in car parking charges at its public hospitals last year. Uh, this is coming from Freedom of Information, uh, which showed that £5.1 million was taken in by the HSC. And the highest by far was £1.25 million, and that was from the Cork University Hospital. Galway followed, as did Waterford, but CUH was the highest. And when they asked about, you know, getting rid of the charges uh, and asked the various hospitals groups about this and they made a very good point they said if we abolish the charges what will happen then is you'll be freeloading areas so you'd have everybody parking in CUH who may be just going into the city and that did happen before people used the CUH car park as a park and ride and got the number 8 or the 208 bus into the city centre when you know the, the hospital car park is for those in hospital that was the initial reason for introducing charges now they're making money out of it anyhow your views are welcome on that a lot of people uh, do uh, and find it very frustrating when they have to visit someone in hospital and here's something very different Uh, if you are going for your bar of chocolate thinking of purchasing it just be very careful seemingly the you know the Willy Wonka movie uh, the chocolate factory Charlie and the chocolate factory the Wonka bars that were in that movie well 
it seems that there's a counterfeit chocolate bar doing the rounds at the moment and this may be unsafe to eat according to the Food Safety Authority of Ireland and they're asking people not to consume or buy or eat Wonka branded chocolate bars due to an increase in reports that counterfeit chocolate bars bearing this brand name are for sale on the marketplace in Ireland but they could be counterfeit bars and they possibly could be unsafe to eat. So while you all uh, we were all told that the Wonka bar contained the golden ticket and the money. Uh, you could be getting a different kind of ticket if you wish it, a sick ticket. Anyhow, just a word of warning from the Food Safety Authority of Ireland. Your views are welcome. You can call Bernie 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. An interesting email in from Joe when I mentioned the COVID numbers and the rise in COVID and the issue of mask wearing. Uh, Joe making a... Uh, an interesting uh, email and I'll get to that after 11 but just asking basically do we all just need to take our own self-responsibility and why are we waiting for the government to tell us what to do anyhow I'll get to that and your views welcome on 0818103103 text or whatsapp 0862103103 on the way next we're going to hear about a cross-community effort in the Blackwater region of Cork as they welcome Ukrainian refugees who flee the war in Ukraine Cork today on C103 text or whatsapp Patricia with your comment 0862103103 Across community efforts to provide solidarity to Ukrainian refugees moving to the Blackwater region of Cork is being launched this Wednesday evening. Many relocation will be doing so on a medium to long-term basis and Graham Clifford who launched the group joins me this morning. Good morning to you Graham. Good morning, JP. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us and well done to you and so many others who are organising groups like this right across the region. I suppose, are you trying to gauge what's ahead for the coming months for where you are there in the Fermoy and Mitchell Sound area and those who are opening their doors and welcoming those who are fleeing the war in Ukraine to their homes? Yeah, that's right, uh, JP. I suppose it's still quite an unclear picture in the sense of the number of people who are, have already come and who are coming. Um, as we saw in Bottevent last week, you know, um, a large, you know, a relatively large number of people arrived and, and, and maybe the local community didn't know. So it's still a very kind of fluid and imperfect situation. And a lot of Ukrainian people would have arrived through different, you know, different routes and so on. So what we're trying to do, as you said, is trying to gauge firstly, okay, how many Ukrainian uh, people are in the area at the moment? how many people need support, how many Irish um, um, hosts of uh, Ukrainian people are coming, how many of those are there, and what support do they need, and so on. Uh, and then also looking, uh, JP, at you know how many people in, in the region have pledged support or pledged to host a Ukrainian uh, family in the coming weeks, because a lot of people, ourselves included, would have pledged but wouldn't as yet have heard back from the Red Cross. So until you kind of have an idea of the numbers, it's pretty tricky. But then at the same time, you can't wait until, you know, um, people arrive and then go, okay, oh my God, we need to sort something out. So with that in mind, we said, okay, we need to look at this in two different ways. One is that short-term kind of crisis support. When people arrive, you know, what do they need? That's where you're material donations kind of come into into play, I suppose. And the second then, which I think is just as crucial and needs to be organized in a parallel way, is what is the medium-term plan to ensure that not just Ukrainian people who come are supported, but that those who are supporting them 
are also supported. And you're right when you say you need to plan ahead rather than doing and, and organising something when it's too late. And when you're speaking about planning and supporting, uh, tell us about this hub that you're hoping anyhow to set up and discuss at the launch. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll set it up all right. I like to work backwards uh, almost, JP. So in my head, it's going to happen and we'll work out backwards the, the when, where and so on. We've already had some premises kind of, um, you know, offered to us, mentioned to us here in Fermoy. And the whole idea is that we would have, um, if I go back a bit, at the moment, a lot of the resources and the excellent resources that are being made and provided and so on for Ukrainians coming to Ireland um, are, you know, stuff like online, uh, uh, online resources, apps and so on. However, I don't think anything really equates to having somewhere physical for people to go to get information. I think that's going to be very important. It's not just getting information either. It's being able to get local information. So a lot of the resources that are being produced, obviously, are excellent, but they're probably national and they need to be. But if you arrive in a small area in uh, North Cork, you're going to want to find out what's happening around and, 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 you know, perhaps where there are job opportunities or, you know, what can your child or children become involved in. Are there support services for you? Because obviously a lot of people coming will really need a network. They'll need and want to meet other Ukrainian people in those early days. Um, And so we thought, right, let's try to put all of this under one roof uh, in as much as we can so that we we, we create a hub, a drop-in center, so you can just come during the hours that it's opened. It'll be manned by volunteers. Those volunteers will be Irish, but they'll also be perhaps Ukrainian people themselves who want to get involved. And also, we're lucky up here, uh, JP, in that we have a big Polish community. And the Polish community, since the start of this war in particular, and the Ukrainian uh, community, have been very close in working together. uh, And and the Polish community in Ireland have been amazing at supporting Ukrainians. So they'll be involved as well. So that's our idea. It's a place to get information. It's a place to get support potentially a place where you could have the likes of English classes or counselling, but it's also the kind of place where you could sit and have a cup of coffee and drop in, and it's somewhere to go. I think that's important. Yeah, and there's human contact, as you said, rather than a website every uh, every second day, at least they can speak to people from Ukraine or those who can help them to get jobs or settle in the area. And you mentioned there about the Polish communities. I mean, you've raised this before and many others have as well about the need to engage with the Polish and Central and Eastern European communities who may be in Formoy and elsewhere because they'll have an understanding and also perhaps they can break down language barriers as well. And that's something we need to look more towards and we can see that at the weekend when so many churches opened their doors, had big TV screens, and so many who now have landed here from Ukraine were watching the concerts being broadcast from Poland. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, linguistic, cultural, dietary similarities are very strong. And and often, we, we often you know, and I've been banging on about this for years, as you know, JP, often our migrant populations are quite invisible. At this point in time, given the challenge that we face as local communities, and by the way, the answer to this entire situation with the amount of Ukrainian people fleeing war and coming here is in local communities. That's what will make it work. So local communities are vital, and they need to be supported, and they need to be innovative. But uh, the Polish community in Ireland now, uh, at the last census, 
125,000 people would have, uh, first, uh, first generation Polish people would have uh, filled in the census in Ireland. So it's a, it's a big population and a very important population. And one more thing to say, I guess, is that in a few months' time, probably, the combination of the Polish and Ukrainian population in Ireland will be about a quarter of a million people. That's very big. So in the context of Ireland. So it's really important that we engage with, are led by, consulted with, uh, and we, we work hand-in-hand hand with our wonderful Polish neighbours and friends who really want to help as well. And then, as you mentioned, in a few months' time there, people that move here to Ireland and, and flee their war, many will want to return at some point, many will stay long-term, but they will integrate into society and into clubs. And I know uh, a number of years ago, uh, when we were broadcasting for the food festival in McCroom, uh, we were speaking to those who had moved from Syria to Ireland. And we saw firsthand how initially people in the area were kind of worried how it, it would all work. And I suppose, you know, there was a new a new society moving into the town uh, but they all integrated very well and so much so that you had at, at that stage there were Syrian refugees involved in the Tadi Towns groups they were involved in the local soccer club and they provided a real benefit to the community and we saw and met the, the two sides of the community firsthand uh, that day in McCroom and, and sh- they, they showed us how everything worked so well how they integrated into the community would you be hoping that would be similar now in a few months time here in Ireland when it comes to those fleeing war in Ukraine. Yes, hundred percent, and it's, yeah, and I'm glad you you brought that up. The reality is that you still have Syrian and Afghan people who have come to Ireland. Afghan people fleeing the Taliban. Uh, Syrian people who fled the most uh, awful of situations as well, and they will need support continuously too. Uh, it's a challenge to the state. You also have people in direct provision who are desperately trying to move out, but where do you move out to? So it, it, it's not ideal. Um, but um, and, and I think our national approach as a state to integration is, is probably lacking a lot. However, people on the ground in local communities are sound, decent people. And this is really the time for everybody in the community to stand up and uh, do their little bit, I think, if they can and, and if they have the bandwidth to do so. So I would expect, yes, totally, the, the same kind of... Um, uh, decency that we've seen in other aspects of society to, to very much, um, you know, be at the fore with uh, Ukrainians moving to Ireland as well. Um, it's a different challenge, you know, in the sense that, uh, you know, you have a different profile, I guess, in terms of the people coming from Ukraine and not an awful lot of highly qualified people and educated. And then you've got moms with kids more so than than than, than um, dads and grown men and. Um, I think I think what's really tricky about this one, though, is that there will be a lot of trauma coming as well, and we can't forget that. Um, and that will provide challenges for everybody. So that's why I keep going back to it's so important that those who are supporting people are also supported. Even at this hub that I'm talking about, JP, it would also be a place for, um, in inverted commas, Irish or Polish or whatever, uh, families who are hosting uh, Ukrainian people to come as well, because... If there's an issue, and invariably they will, there will be here and there, um, it's important to have somebody to, to, to talk to and to, to, to ask questions of. And because of the burden on the, because of the pressure on the state in terms of volume and our ability and the ability of NGOs like the Red Cross to be on top of everything, I think we, realistically that support and that help 
will have to come organically and locally. You know, like if people are expecting the Red Cross to be there at every every second to help, it's not going to happen. Um, so, so it's a big challenge, but we can undoubtedly rise to it. And also, it's, it's a challenge, but it is an opportunity to build more socially cohesive local communities. And if we have that in our head as well, it'll add to our energy uh, base, I think. And uh, hopefully, you know, this war will end, people will return. Uh, a lot of people will return to Ukraine, but those who remain behind will have contributed to helping make more socially cohesive society. True. And just on the hub you mentioned there, did you say, are you still looking for a premises or have you identified one at this stage? So we've had a few offers okay. of premises and uh, we're really grateful for every offer. Some are suitable, some are not. Uh, but we undoubtedly uh, could do with a few more options. Um, you know, that could be somebody who has, you know, office space or, or space that they think would be suitable, perhaps with two rooms and a, um, a, um, and toilet facilities. Um, somewhere central in the town of Formoy, uh, you know, and we'll come to some ar- arrangements, as I said, working backwards, the most important thing is that we get a location for the hub and get to work on it. Uh, we're hoping to do our own little DIY SOS, a bit like they did in Bonavent last week, in terms of preparing it, uh, to, to be functional. Um, but yeah, if anybody in the area feels that they have something to offer, we would be we would be so grateful to uh, consider it. And you are having a public meeting. It's tomorrow evening, isn't it, at the Youth Centre in Fermoy to discuss all of this for people to come along and engage on how this will work for the community there. Yeah, I mean, I am, I'm very conscious of COVID. Uh, we'll try to keep it snappy, try to keep it relatively short. We're going to ask everybody to wear masks if possible. And I think we just, uh, we, we, we'll have one or two, uh, Ukrainian people in the locality, including one person who's already volunteering with the Together Razem organization in Cork. Um, and we'll just outline, um, as I said to you, the, the immediate, uh, uh, need and the more medium term need. And then what we're going to try to do is find out from people in a questionnaire that they can fill in there and then where they would like to help. And so hopefully then we'd have our database and from there we could move forward. And it's at 7.30 p.m. in the youth centre uh, in Fermoy, JP. And as I said, um, we'll, we'll keep it short. It won't be too long because of COVID. Very good. Well, the very best of luck with that and the best of luck with your project there. And we'll stay in touch and, and see what happens and unfolds over the next number of weeks. For the moment, Graham. thanks for joining us this morning on the programme. Thank you, JP. Take care. That is Graeme Clifford there who has launched that group in the Fermoy area and it's to provide solidarity to Ukrainian refugees moving to the Blackwater region. And again, the public meeting, if you want to get involved or hear about what is happening, it's in the Youth Centre in Fermoy tomorrow evening at 7.30pm. Our lines are open on 0818 103 103. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. In the 80s and 90s, a castle in Connor was a venue for major concerts with big name acts such as the likes of Smokey and Meatloaf playing to thousands. So, is it time to revive this castle in Connor as a music venue? Well, Councillor William O'Leary, who is chair, uh, chair even of the Northern Division of Cork County Council, joins me on this. Good morning to you, William. Good morning, Jean Paul. And thanks for joining us. First of all, who is responsible for the castle now? Whose ownership is it in? Well, the, the maintenance and the um, maintenance and upkeep of the castle, Jean Paul, is, is within the remit of the Office of Public Works. 
Um, so they have the overall, so they, they, they are the custodians of the castle in kind of um, John Paul. And when was it last open to the public for an event like this? Uh, well, for for music, like as you mentioned in your prelude, there from the music venue, I, I I don't have the exact date, but up until twenty fifteen, um, members of the public who wished to access the castle could access the castle. There was a a local family who held um, the key to the castle as such, and that was available on request for anyone who wanted to visit um, the castle, which is a major um, historical site. John Paul, as you probably well know, it's, it's mm. based on the banks of the River Bride in Connor. It's um. It's a uh, 16th century. It was built in the late 16th century, in the late 1500s, and I suppose like, it goes in front of a historical venue. It looked like both. You're going back to the time there of Walter Raleigh. Um, you know the story goes that our dear friend Oliver Cromwell fired a few cannons at the castle as he um as he was passing through that part of the country in the early 1600s. So in, in terms of a historical site, in terms of a heritage venue, you know, it is in terms of Northeast Park. It is one of the most beautiful place you can imagine. <clears throat> and you mentioned that the heritage and the history there behind the castle, was there a reason it, it was closed? Was it due to repair or, or why did it close in 2015 uh, to the public? So in 2015, the OPW, um, the, 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 the castle, the upper levels of the castle were no longer safe. I mean, they, they closed this for what they described as a programme of internal repair work. So this was um, in 2015. And today, um, you know, there's been dialogue between the local community and members of the local community in the OPW and there's been political interaction between the councillors and the members of the Dáil. But today, John Paul, this just hasn't progressed. Progress, you know, I suppose when it was closed in 2015, it was described legally then as a construction site, so members of the public were no longer permitted to access it. Um, you know, and it was described at the time as safety, necessary safety works, um, you know, some of these works have been undertaken. I mean, there was some repairs to the, to the floors of the upper level of the castle, you know, to make them safe. But since 2015, the site has, has not been opened, you know. And there was a commitment to have this done by 2018. That didn't come. That, that wasn't the theatre, uh, for whatever reason. Then, of course, you had COVID in 2020. Look, we all know the detrimental effect COVID had on many, you know, Works on many sites, be it construction sites or be it historical sites. You know, we all know the detrimental effect that it had on that. You know, yeah, but and a lot of I suppose outside work for housing even was stopped at that point. But if the castle, if it is fully repaired and if it is safe to let people in and around that area again. Do you think, looking at other castles across the country who have reopened, maybe not within the castle, but outside the castle grounds, they have revived the, the, the area with live music and big gigs coming to the area. Could this be done here? I mean, would it be a huge benefit? I mean, w- would there be facilities nearby that could cater for something like this and have big bands again play there? Absolutely. I thought, first and foremost, look, that would be an ideal scenario. First and foremost, we need, you know, we need to... Yeah focus on what needs to be done here in terms of getting these repair works completed and the castle reopened in the first instance. That is that is the first protocol here, you know. And we need what we need here is the OPW just to be straight up with with with, our, with ourselves as elected representatives, with members of the public there who have sought information over the last seven years but have not been given the correct information. You know, we need a we have we need a, a concrete time frame and concrete completion date for complete for for completion of these works, John Paul. And why aren't um, the OPW coming forward and just giving you those dates and saying we will complete it on on a certain date or a certain time of the year? 
Well, unfortunately, you know, the Office of Public Works, you know, look, I'm not underestimating the volume of work they have to get through. They have a huge portfolio of, a huge portfolio of, um, of buildings and, and, other, and, and, and other stuff that they have to maintain and repair. Nobody's criticising them in that we know what their workload is. Um, you know, I suppose they've given other projects priority, you know, before 2018 and definitely since, you know, work has come in since COVID, you know, other OPW projects have been given priority over this, you know. I mean, what we're trying to do here is promote the North East of the county as a, as a historical site, as a, as, a, as a tourist destination. And believe me, if this castle was functional and taking visitors, you know, it would be it would be it would be some site for that. Let me tell you that. But like you I mean, along the banks of the River Bride, anyone who drives past it will know what a beautiful view it is. You know, it's, it's an idyllic setting, and you know. Like yeah. I said, we just want the OPW to come up front, be straight, you know. Um, sometimes we might, might not always get the news. We want to get get off government agencies so people appreciate honesty and appreciate clarity. And you'll get some news and some data at least anyhow and as you say clarity is key and then when when you speak about the site and the historic and the tourism aspect of it which is also welcome and, and could bring so much to the area if there was then uh, if it was safe en- enough that is to reopen it for gigs as well and, and live music we have seen what Indy has done for Mitchellstown you could you know easily for that part of the county as you mentioned the northeast of the county the benefit it would bring to North Cork and East Cork you could have another large festival would you need permission for that for large gigs to take place or, or how would that work if, if the castle is restored if you have the tourists coming there uh, it, can you just go along or must you apply for a special licence? Well I suppose as the OPW are custodians of the site here and it would have to be done in conjunction with them I mean you know we would have to like the community and Park County Council and you know I suppose the, the music industry and the certain agents within that would look it would be a number of stakeholders working together, you know, but at the moment, you know, that is, that is, that is you know, a dream, a distant dream at the moment, you know, and it will be something that we could aspire to in the future, but what we need is, you know, the OPW to finish their programme work. They have, the latest communication we've had from them is that they will be recommencing their work in the castle in the last quarter of 2022, you know, as welcome as that is, you know, recommencing is not, stipulating a time frame for completion and you know we've seen projects recommence and you know that cycle here doesn't Well hopefully a dream will come true for that site I think it would be fantastic to have something like that again in the area not only for concerts but for, as a tourist destination as well considering where it is there for the moment William we'll wait and see what happens we may contact the OPWs with ourselves to see if they can give us any answers but thanks for joining us this morning that is Councillor William O'Leary uh, and do you think it's a good idea maybe you're aware of that castle in Connor and do you think it would benefit to being reopened to the public as first of all a tourist destination considering the heritage and uh, historic value it has there uh, as William explained but also bringing live music to the area your views are welcome 0818 103 103 text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 Good morning to you Cork today until 1 Bernie take in your views on 0818 103 103 by phone you can text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 and ahead we are going to talk about very shortly first of all a walk to a wider education and this is and many people will identify with this when you were in school or maybe you are in
friend school, uh, be that primary or secondary school, and people know that there's something up that you know they're not learning as fast maybe as the person sitting next to them, but they can't figure out what it is. They're frustrated, and for some people, they were just told that you know they're not going to do well within the education system, but they proved wrong in life, and people went on to have successful careers outside of the education system. But this is where uh, this man Timmy Long, you'll know him from the Two Norries podcast. He is now going along to do this walk to raise funds to provide assessments in schools where students can be diagnosed if they are dyslexic and then they can get a better start at school. He feels if he had a diagnosis at an earlier stage, his life would have been totally different. We'll speak with him shortly on the programme. And I know uh, from over the years when we discussed this, so many people uh, can identify. We'll speak with Timmy shortly. And your views are welcome to Bernie 0818103103. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Now views already into us across the last hour to the show. First of all, we spoke with Councillor William O'Leary on the castle in Connor. And should it be reopened as a tourism and heritage destination as well as for major outdoor gigs? was a major outdoor gig venue back in the 80s and 90s. Should that happen yet again? Well, first of all, Donna says, yes, I agree. I think this castle has huge potential and value for the area of Connor. I remember the concerts of the 90s, but also I remember tourists stopping at the area, at the castle and taking pictures of the castle while they all posed outside it. But that does not happen anymore and it's a shame to see it all closed up. Richard says the castle has to be reopened for tourism foremost whatever about concerts they can follow. But Richard feels that this area of Cork is forgotten about. Uh, the likes of Rathcormac and Connor and other areas in this area he feels are just forgotten about when it comes to tourism in the Cork area. They need to do a lot more for tourism in this area of North East Cork. Anya says it's a shame that it is taking so long. Like many government projects, the delays then impact on communities. Surely a time frame should have been given and if the OPW said 2018, then it should have opened in 2018, not so many years later. In 2022 the book must stop with someone. Uh, some of your views regarding that castle and just a WhatsApp in there uh, regarding the Connor Castle. Uh, I don't know who this is from but this person says, I played Connor Castle with my band in 1994. It was amazing. It should be brought back a lot of brilliant bands played Connor Castle. So hello to you. Not too sure who that person is but maybe uh, like this person you played at Connor maybe you were in the band or did you go along let us know who did you see at Connor Castle what memories does it bring back for you and should it be reopened again as a music venue as well as a heritage and tourism site like many want for the area I mean the likes of Meatloaf uh, play there so many other big bands uh, Smokey uh, were one of the other uh, artists that played there so maybe you went along and you saw uh, Smokey or Meatloaf or more let us know a text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and I mentioned there we were speaking also with the Blackwater community who are welcoming Ukrainian refugees fleeing war to the Fermoy area also to the hinterland of Fermoy and Mitchellstown there's a public meeting tomorrow night 
and what can be done uh, to welcome those who are arriving to Ireland and moving to towns like Fermoy. Uh, but on that, John in Blackpool is asking, are we, as an Ireland, are we being expected to take in too many refugees to this country? Will we be able to cope? Well, that is something the government are currently looking at and there's a lot of uh, committees uh, looking into can our systems cope? Can we you know, take on a, a big population influx into this country, which they are looking at at the moment and they continue to work on. But I think, John, a lot of people are asking the same question. Are we, are we ready to do this? And that is why uh, Graeme and others in Formoy are setting up their own group so that when before uh, people move into the area, at least there'll be uh, the community themselves will have something set up anyhow, rather than waiting uh, for the Red Cross or the government who will be looking at other aspects of the country to deal with as well uh, for the influx. But that is one of the reasons why they are uh, ahead of the game in some way, I suppose, in Formoy. And then at the very start of the show, uh, we did mention about the rising COVID cases and so many people now, was it over 40,000 have tested positive for COVID in the last three days alone via a PCR or indeed a home antigen test. And uh, because of that, Eileen on text is asking, Hi John Paul, I think myself, this is Eileen's view, that pubs should be closed again at 8pm. The cases are just too high. It's all out people. And she fears people will die Again, with the number of cases, it's awful. The hospitals are under enough pressure without COVID again rampaging across the community. Uh, would you would agree with Eileen? Would you agree that we should close again the bars at eight? I think people would disagree. Maybe they would agree. Your views are welcome. There's no appetite for that in government for anything to be brought back. There's, there's no talk of any restrictions being brought back again in government circles. And that was very clear last night. Now, there is a number of uh, the tax force at the moment who are going to write to the minister and they are looking at maybe reintroducing the mandatory face mask wearing. That is something that they're thinking of. But again, there's no appetite from the, pub, from the government uh, to do anything. At the moment, political sources and reporters are saying that the government seems to think at this stage that COVID is so much now out of control that there is little point in trying to rein it in again. In other words, they're saying let it rip because the alternative wouldn't be doable anymore. And that task force then is looking at bringing in measures because of the chaotic chaos in the hospital emergency departments. But when it comes to pubs, I don't know what many agree with you, Eileen, on that. Anyhow, you're welcome to your view. Uh, what do you think? Do you agree with Eileen? You can let us know. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103 or call Bernie 0818103103. And then when we were mentioning that at the start of the show regarding COVID, we have an email in uh, and we discussed this as well on the show yesterday because so many people have been out sick from workplaces and workplaces have been suffering as a result. Uh, Joe has emailed in. Uh, not too sure if people would agree or, or disagree with Joe, but this is what Joe says. Anyhow, to JP at C103.ie, Joe says, I listened yesterday and watched the TV news with regards to the rising cases of COVID-19. It seems now most people who avoided it have caught it. People asked, did they get rid of mask wearing too soon? But why are we all being handheld in this situation? During the height of the pandemic, people were out protesting over their freedom. And now people are saying more should be done. That mask wearing should be mandatory. I wear my mask shopping, as do many others, and it is one's right to do so. We all blamed Michal Martin, Tony Houlihan during the pandemic. It was blame this person, blame that person. But did we ever look at ourselves? No. Why? Well, Joe says, 
I found your comment from Joan in Formoy yesterday very interesting. She recalled working in a shop and everyone coming in was happy. I do remember a time when I worked in a shop in the late 80s and yes, people were happy. No one came in giving out. Yes, if something was wrong, they would complain, but in a certain manner and not a rude tone like today. I was on a bus at the weekend, four people wearing a mask. The bus was passed and no one else was wearing apart from those four people a mask. Two people sat next to me, but they did not wear a mask. Now, would it have hurt considering cases are so high to push one on to protect others in a busy bus? I've got COVID before, but I do not want it again. It's a pain for me my family and my work colleagues if I do get it again. My point is, people need to cop on. The government should not need to tell us all what to do, when to wear a mask. We are adults, but looking at society, I do wonder. Everyone today has a feeling of entitlement, says Joe. They are entitled to this and that. I want, I want. Most people act today like selfish, spoilt children. And that needs to stop. And when I say most people, it's across all generations. So everyone is guilty, says Joe to email to jp at c103.ie. Would you agree with Joe? Is it time for everybody to take personal responsibility? And if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. And if numbers are high and people are worried, then just put it on you. And if you don't, well, you have your reason why you don't have to. But uh, with so many people asking and looking towards the government for advice on mask wearing, is Joe right? We're all adults. And there was so much... Uh, hoo-ha over the height of the pandemic about the regulations that were brought in and the restrictions. Is it time now for people just to act as an adult and make your mind up? And if you do feel uh, that cases are high, wear that mask. But Joe feels uh, in his final statement uh, that we're all getting very selfish, like spoilt children and that it's across all generations. And we had this sense of entitlement in society today. All I want, I want, I want. Anyhow, your views are welcome. Uh, Bernie on 0818 taking calls right now or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and just on that I'm not too sure if anybody saw Claire Byrne last night on TV there was research carried out on behalf of her show by Amoric Research on her TV show last night on RTE and one of the questions was should people be legally required to wear masks again in indoor settings like shops and public transport and overall yes was the answer 65% said yes and 30% said no and 5% didn't no. And then they ask another question. So the isolation period for people who are and test positive for a coronavirus, but who are not sick, should that be reduced? But no, 58% said no, it should remain as it is. And 29% said yes. And there was 13% who did not know. Uh, so with the Amoric Research Survey, it would seem people would like to see masks back anyhow in shops and public transport and the isolation period to remain as it is. Your views are welcome considering cases are so high. And let us now 0818103103 or text or WhatsApp 0862103103 C103 Jobs With Munster Technological University Enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full-time part-time and professional courses Succeeding together with MTU.ie 
A tyre fitter is wanted for O'Sullivan Tyres in Mallow. Full driving licence is essential. Phone 87 Mahan Point Shopping Centre's recruitment fair takes place on this coming Thursday, the 31st of March from 11am to 3pm. This is a good opportunity to go along and meet the retailers and learn what full and part-time jobs are on offer. And the West Cork Hotel in Skibbereen require a front office supervisor and a night manager email CV to accounts at westcorkhotel.ie. These jobs and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Walk This Way to a Wider Education is being organised by Timmy Long as so many go through school life undiagnosed, for example, with dyslexia and other conditions. Now, Timmy Long, who many of you may be familiar with as co-host of the Two Norries podcast, joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Timmy. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. I mean, I think a lot of people will identify with this because every time we discuss this situation, so many people contact us, phone us, email, and know this experience, and they say it's very frustrating. So the reason, first of all, you were raising this issue and doing this walk, because you yourself, Timmy, you've gone through this experience. Just just tell me about your own school days. Um, Going up from primary school and secondary school, well, uh, primary school first of all it was education wasn't for me the way I was being taught wasn't working so I spent an awful lot of my time at the back of the class are just being disruptive because my needs in the education system weren't being met because it, at that time they weren't understood by the school the system you know so um, I went through the whole education system and just with no education you know, and acting out then with my behaviours because I felt that there was something wrong with me. I was thick, you know, that I was stupid because I wasn't grasping things like everybody else in the classroom. And I suppose as a child, when you don't grasp the first thing, you can't follow on within the next thing, you know. So if, if you miss the first section of a maths question or the first, section of a sentence that the teacher or a student is reading in the classroom, you can't continue on from that because you're still trying to understand the first sentence while they're going on to the third or fourth sentence. So I had massive difficulties with that and I went through the whole system and not knowing what was wrong with me and I built up this belief within myself then that I I, um, I, I wasn't good enough, I wasn't I, I wasn't able, I was stupid. And I went through the whole system like that until um until I, I, I re educated myself in, in my Turkey and I was fortunate enough that I was able to get funding within the CIT college no MTU for an educational psychologist assessment which clarified that I was dyslexic, and once that assessment was there in writing and I had this report saying I was dyslexic, it made so much sense to me because all the characteristics of dyslexia were the ways that I felt, you know, with the short-term memory, the spelling, the reading, just the lack of concentration, you know, and the minute I hear a word or something that's just, I don't understand. Everything else just goes up 
over my head and I'm stuck in that then and I get lost. So, um, yeah. And I think we all can identify with people. I know when we speak, when I meet up my own classmates from either primary school or secondary school, we all, and, and even the, those people who you're speaking about now there, I'm sure, Timmy, you, you can outline this story as well. Either ourselves or we know someone in the classroom who had the very experience that you had and they can never figure out why they felt they weren't learning as fast as the person sitting next to them. And it led to frustration. Now, thankfully, uh, I suppose a lot of people like yourself had had very successful careers after outside of education but just tell us for your own case the difference this would have made if maybe you were in a school system today that was able to diagnose dyslexia how indeed that would have changed the course of your school life but also your general life Timmy Well firstly if if I had the assessment and it it would clarify whether I was dyslexic or I I have um, dyscalculus you know, which is the maths one, or dysgraphia, which is writing. You know, there's many more. But if 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 they if that assessment was done, I was I would probably would have been diagnosed with, with something different. You know, and it would have it would have helped me even if there was a behavioural issue back then. It would have helped me to maybe get the right services from you know from 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 whatever I needed at, the, at that point. So what it actually does is it helps the person to understand themselves, but it helps everybody else then around them, the parents, the teachers, to how to manage the child in terms of how to give them the best education that they can handle, you know, in terms of their ability. You know, and that's what we need to look at. Like, not everybody learns, like, the norm, you know, inside in the classroom. Some kids are sitting in classrooms and there's teachers putting stuff up on boards or they're asking them to read. And it's a very, very, very anxious time. I remember being in school like, and, and I'd have my head down on the table just praying that the teacher wouldn't ask me to read Yan and Barry, for instance, because it was very, very... I wasn't able to read, you know, yeah, compared to the rest of the students who were in the classroom. It, it's a very, very, very difficult thing for any any student to be able to sit in the classroom and just feel so anxious because their learning needs are, are not are not known by the teacher. You know, so it, it's very important that we get these assessments into schools to the kids that require them, and we can kneel down at their level and teach them to the best ability the education system can. Totally. And you mentioned there as well about being disruptive in class and the behavioural issues. I mean, did that follow you outside the classroom? Of course. Of course. Well, I had an awful lot of different stuff going on in my own life back in the time. I won't get into that. But, um, like, if you're sitting in the classroom and everybody else is learning around you, you're going to get bored, you're going to get fidgety, you're going to be messy, you're going to look for the teacher's attention. You're, remember this now, you're a child as well. And kids like the attention, whether it's positive or negative attention, they'll, they'll want it from the teacher or other, or other kids in the classroom. So that's what was going on for me. I wasn't able to learn. So the next best thing, I wasn't able to sit still either. So the next best thing was to mess and get attention off the teachers and be sent up to the principal's office or sent up to the assembly or outside the classroom. And that was perfect for me because I didn't have to sit in the classroom and learn because when I was in the classroom... And I was supposed to learn these different things in maths and history and English. 
that was a very, very difficult time for me. And, and, and this is still happening today because the education system within our country hasn't looked at these needs for kids. I know it's very expensive for all these assessments, but it's the future of our country. If, if we if we have to start investing in our future, and, that, and by doing that is we have to look at our kids and see what they need at an early age and, and give them what they require to be able to give them the right skills to develop and, and become the best that they can be. True. And, and, and that's, this is exactly what we need these assessments for. Yeah, true, because you know? they can, you know, they can do bad within, within the education system, but also then that can follow into life and they can choose the wrong path in life. And it's all because of not having a diagnosis in the school and in the classroom. And would you agree to me from a secondary level point of view, I suppose, many, a lot of talk at the moment uh, regarding the Leaving Cert. And I mean, I would have really struggled with the Leaving Cert for the fifth and sixth year because you have to learn everything. You're basically right. learning two years of work for one exam and overall you're learning six years of work for one exam which for some people is very easy to do for a lot of people it's very tough and when I went on to college I, I, not that I flew through college but I did extremely well through college compared to secondary school because yeah. it was continuous assessment so you were assessed every three months yes you have an overall exam but it's done and the technique is different than the leaving cert. Would you agree yeah. that that needs to be looked at as well on a secondary level school basis and, and a continuous assessment would be far better than what we have at the moment? I, t- I think we're pushing too much stress on our kids, particularly in the leaving cert. There's, like, every child is required to get a certain level of points to get into the vocation that they want. Imagine the stresses. You know, this might be coming from the school, it might be coming from the parents, but then they might be pushing themselves to a level that they mightn't be able for. You know, it's it's actually too much, and we're really stressing our children out to to a level that might not be repairable. You know, like you speak about going on to be at the college mm. and going and do the, the three month assessments. Like less. I don't know, like, I'm not a teacher or anything else, like, but I, I see a lot of, I, I know a lot of different people and, and uh, their children have gone through secondary and they've talked about their mental health because of the leaving sort of exams and, and I'm saying, like, not everybody is able to learn to that degree at that age, you know, like, I went through the education system in my 30s, as I said earlier, some people might take a break after leaving certain and go on to do further education and then go on to college. There's so many different routes in education. One glove doesn't fit all, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that is the, the, the route to education we have in this country will not suit every individual. You know, it won't suit every 17 and 18-year-old that's in school at the moment doing their leaving sort. You know, and, and they're pressurised into getting it right. You know, it, it can be a little bit strict, but we need to start focusing a little bit more on, 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 on their mental health, particularly after these last two years of COVID and what people have gone through and, and, and sitting at home doing studies. Like, the last thing we want to do is start pushing them doing exams, telling them that they need these points. Like, think of it this way, and I know I'm going to be very blunt in saying this, you know, but what if something happens to that child because of the pressure that they're under in the in the education system? What if what, what if, 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 if they go to the hospital because of their mental health, even worse, and we both know what I mean by that, 
You know, why yeah. won't the guilt is left after that? We need to start focusing a little bit more on, on what, what they're able to do, what their needs are, and how we can help them even more. Uh, you're, you're right, Timmy. You're right, because you, not a mind's only in the school or at home. You know, they see it on the news. They see about the Leaving Cert coming up. They have their uh, aunts and uncles saying, oh, you're getting ready for the Leaving Cert. Are you prepared for it? It's just extra pressure all the time. And that's what we don't need. So what you're doing with this walk, this is to provide money and raise money for educational psychology assessments to be given and identify children who may be struggling within the education system. And it'll be for a number of schools uh, along the city north side. Just tell us the schools, first of all, and just tell us about the walk as well so people can get involved and hopefully help a lot of people across our city. Well, firstly, the walk, um, the reason I'm doing the walk in, in the schools, I, I, I grew up, I grew up in um Hollyhill area, not Bailey and and um like what better place to start within the two like within the, the classrooms that I started my education system, you know, what better place to start so it's not Nahini primary school, St Mary's on the Hill and not Nahini secondary school, Turns Max Sweeney and Churchfield Padre Pio. Uh, primary school. So they're the three schools we're doing these walks for and it's 24,000 is, is, is the number that we, we need to get the assessments done. But the aftercare of, after the assessments are done, there's a massive aftercare part to go in, to be set in play. And what I mean by that is we've experts going into the schools and they're going to teach the teachers how to be able to give the kids with these learning differences the best education that they can get. You know, how to yeah. meet them at their level, what their requirements are, what their needs are, and, and to meet them at their, at their level and their ability and to be able to help them through the education system. And the reports then can be carried on to the secondary school level and... They can, and, and once they get to secondary, then they can sit down with a parent or a principal or a teacher and maybe look at that report and see how, how that can develop even more and help this child to get the best education that they can to meet their needs. And, and that's what it's about. It's about changing lives, changing the past Timmy's from 30 years ago. You know, and, and there's probably a lot of people listening to this and they've all, always said to themselves, I'm sure I'm dyslexic, I'm sure I'm dyslexic. You know, they probably are. You know, and, and the clarification of that assessment, it, it helps somebody massively to understand that there's actually not, nothing wrong with them, that they just have a different way of learning. Totally, and, and it lifts a huge weight out of, of a person as well, knowing that they have you know, a certain condition and, and, and they will learn differently than somebody else. And the walk you've chosen then to raise funds, the walk is in Kinmare, and Timmy, it's on the 14th of May, isn't it? Yeah. So we leave Thorpe Waterfall, Upper Waterfall, in the Muckers Road at 10am on the 14th of May, and we walk directly into Kinmare from there. And uh, it's just... It's just to make it, uh, raise awareness around what we're doing because, listen, it's every child's, not just requirements, but they need to be, they need to be met by the education system at their levels and get the, the, the education that they deserve. And, and, and we need to raise more awareness on this, you know, because there's kids slipping through the education system because 
they're just not getting what they require to meet their ability. And, and, and that's basically the, the, the main emphasis of this jump ball is, is to just make more awareness around it. So people like me and people that have helped me along the way, George, Georgie Cooney and Paul McCarthy, like that, there'll be more people jump on board and the government will say, you know what, we need to start acting on this because there are children out there and, and they're slipping through the cracks in the system. We need to we need to act immediately. So Totally, yeah, and give everybody a fair start at life and that is within the school system. Timmy, best of luck with your walk, best of luck Thanks with what you're part. doing. It's fantastic. And I know yeah. on text and WhatsApp and a lot of people, Timmy, are identifying with you and many people have said in their late 30s and even in their 50s uh, they were diagnosed with dyslexia and it does, uh, for them now, they understand why they were in a situation in their primary school where they could not learn. Now they get their answers 30 or 40 years later so they totally identify and congratulate you on what you were doing. Timmy, the best of luck and uh, hopefully uh, that the the services will improve over the next number of years for children who do uh, need those assessments in all schools not only here in Cork but across the country Thank you so much Take care Timmy Uh, Timmy Long there and that walk again is on the 14th of May at 10am and it's in Kenmer as Timmy said and we have details on our Twitter feed later in the afternoon on C103 Cork if you want details on how to take part in that walk and fundraise for those schools in question and as I say a lot of people identifying what Timmy has said there Cork today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 0818-103-103 Thursday Island's cable car is due to close for nine months at the end of this week but no alternative ferry service is in place and this is all due to the impact of last December's Storm Barra which has increased corrosion and that has meant the cable car's 60-year-old pylons they have to be repaired or indeed replaced as a matter of urgency. Now as the Cork County Council and the Department of Rural and Community Development they have denied responsibility for providing an alternative for local farmers and residents to the Thursday side and to cross the Jersey Sound uh, this morning. It seems it's back and forth between the department and indeed the council on this one and now they're looking to meet uh, the ministers within that department from Preston uh, County Hall will want to meet the ministers from that department as the debate continues but why they debate uh, the locals have to face the reality and Joseph Sullivan is a farmer on the island and he joins me. Good morning to you Joseph. Good morning, JP. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. I mean, we spoke with you at the start of this year and at that stage, many people were hoping for some intervention and we all thought something would happen and they wouldn't leave you basically high and dry. But it doesn't look like that. And at this stage, the cable car still is going to close this week. So just outline now with no cable car, the impact this has on you when you're working on the island, you're farming on the island and I presume calving season is about to begin and, and sheep are due to lamb. Yes, JP, indeed, yeah. I mean, we're stuck. We're, we're very badly stuck. I mean, we, we, we won't have access to the island full stop. I mean, I still have six cows left to calve. A lot, a lot of my neighbours still have cows calving, and lambing season is, is starting to come into full swing. So, I mean, come, come towards the evening, that'll be it. There won't be any access there full stop. And you would bring animals back and forth and also feed, most importantly, feed back and forth from the mainland to the islands is this going to cause a problem now for feed and indeed animal welfare? It's going to be a huge animal welfare issue. I mean, personally, I, I, I brought in enough feed to give to my animals, but it's not going to be much good if I can't get there to give it to them. So it's, it's a kind of a catch-22. I mean, you could have all the feed in the world. And I have enough, personally. I know my neighbours have enough. But to get, to get to the island to give to them, 
I mean, we're stuck. We're absolutely stuck. And it's ironic that, you know, this could be an animal welfare issue and you have one department that aren't taking responsibility and you could have the Department of Agriculture knocking on your door saying, you know, you're, you're causing an animal welfare issue, which is not your own fault. It's due to the decisions being made over you. And with the cable car and with the pylons I mentioned, I mean, everybody knows if you live near the sea, you know, the, the salt from the sea does cause rust and the pylons were at some stage going to erode. Uh, they would have known this for a very long time. They have nothing else in place. I mean, a ferry. I mean, how how would that work even at the moments when people take a boat? They say it's quite dangerous crossing the Dursey Sound. It is. Dursey Sound is well known for being a treacherous stretch of water. I mean, the cable car was put there first day to avoid all this. It was put there. It was an idea by the local parish priest. He was Father Keane. He was our parish priest at the time, and it was a great idea. I mean, my mother, my uncle, my aunt. My grandfather and all our ancestors and all inside there, they all had to row back and forth by boat. I mean, they, they were stuck there for weeks and months at a time. There was no two ways about it. And the cable car was a great asset. It was a great lifeline to the islands. And um, here we are now. We're going back nearly 60, 70 years in time. Just in the click of our fingers. I mean, Cock County Council have have seen the corrosion on these cable cars for many, many years and stood by, idly by and done nothing about it. It's 21 years since a piece of steel was last put into the pylon on the island side. I mean, you wouldn't let the public roads in any part of the country go without maintenance for that length of time. But yet, when it comes to the cable car and the pylons, the towers where the cable car goes through, I mean, that seems to be no problem then. I mean, this issue has been ongoing for a long, long time. Now, in fairness, there's aspects where the council excel in maintenance. The cables that carry the cable car and pull the cable car back and forth. The gentlemen, the engineers that come and work on behalf of country council, they're a pleasure to deal with. They always accommodate the people on the island and they're very, very, very good at their job. But just the pylons have been a long-standing issue and they've done nothing about it whatsoever. And there's a number of people that then live in the islands and many of them are elderly and, you know, everyday tasks, Joseph, like going to the shop, many people living on the mainland will take that for granted. But people will make the journey on the cable car uh, to the mainland and go to a shop in one of the nearby villages and towns. That won't be, you know, you won't be able to do that with the cable car out of action. But also if you have a bad storm or, or a very windy day, it won't be possible to cross on the ferry. No, it will not. I mean, there, there's no household in Ireland going to have much more than a week's worth of shopping. So, I mean, how, how does that work? I know myself, I, I was in Dursley Island this morning, I gave one of my neighbours a helping hand to bring in his kerosene. He bought the kerosene in in five-gallon drums on the cable car. We can't get the oil lorry to the house, or any house on the island. Everything has to be bought by hand. Only two of the houses, as far as I know, have oil heating. All the others, you have to bring a tank of gas on the cable car, or you have to... Um, bring your coal by cable car, everything has to come by the cable car. I mean, it's very, very, very different to other islands where where you have um, a car ferry going several times a day. It's a very different scenario. Very, very different. So now you're basically being cut off from the mainland. If if it's a bad day weather-wise, the ferry can't go. You've no way of of getting off the the islands onto the mainland. And for you, I mean, you work full-time also along with the work Mm -hmm. you do on the farm and... You have to find a way uh, from going from Castleton Bear to Jersey 
and look after those animals but there's no way if there's no ferry running and, and, and there's no alternative ferry either at the moment anyhow being considered No I mean proposals have come to place I mean you may or may not have seen it this morning on the Irish Examiner I think or was the Irish Times I think it was the Examiner that, um, Yeah they're, they're looking to paying for a, another ferry service they're saying before the, the, the cut off happens yeah. on Friday but then you know on that they're, they're still fighting back and forth as in the council they're still fighting with the Department of yeah, Rural and Community I, Development on this They have I mean look it, it looks to me like there's just been a huge disagreement whether it's a clash of egos or whether it's just I don't know what you I don't know what you call it it must be a a clash somewhere along the line there must be mistakes being made there must be I don't know Well it's very it's, obvious Joseph those making those decisions and fighting aren't locals aren't living in the area and aren't living first of all on an island because if they knew what it was like they wouldn't be in this situation of tishing and tashing no. back and forth so that, that's one thing that's obvious a very good point from listeners and this has been made before uh, this is from uh, Julie who says JP they would not close the Jack Lynch tunnel uh, for nine months would they? There would be uproar across the city even though there is ways and around different ways to get to and from North, yeah. East Cork and South of the city with that close right. but it will never happen but yet they'll leave Islanders stranded in West Cork why? Because it's out of the way and they don't want to know I mean it's a good point from Julie isn't it? it, it it's a great point I made a similar if not the exact same point myself not too mighty long ago to officials that just because we are two two and a half hours from County Hall in Cork doesn't mean that we are second-class citizens. We've been treated like second-class citizens, and we are not. We are law-abiding, quiet, tax-paying citizens. We go about our, our work diligently. We look after our farms, our families. We work together, and look, we're, we're just being treated like second-class citizens. And by the looks of it, we're going to fall behind the cracks. We're going to fall behind the rumble that's emerging from the department and Cork County Council. So... This is going to close Friday. Give me your typical work day now from Saturday or Sunday or Monday, uh, how you will have to do your own full-time job in Castletown Bear and just tell me now how that will work for you getting on the island without the cable car, trying to look after the farm, trying to feed the animals. How will your day typically run now without the car, cable car? I don't know how it's going to run. I, I genuinely don't. I mean, we're here now in the penultimate stage of, of this rumble and this should have been sorted weeks ago. This should have been sorted. They should have had these proposals in place when, they, when the news broke on the 17th of January, I think it was, that the cable car would be closing. All these measures should have been put in place back then and should have been ready and ready to rock and roll. They should be ready by now, but they're not. So look, I'm still going to be hopeful that a ferry will be supplied. Uh, so, you know, I'm still going to be hopeful. Well, all our neighbors, we're we all are. Hopeful. We are hopeful. It's down to the wire, though. At this stage, pardon the pun, it is really down to the wire because you know you're, you're, you've only till Friday to sort this out, and whoever's going to sort the ferry or going to pay for the ferry, whether it's the department or the council, they really only have a matter of days to source the ferry and sort all of this out. And it seems from where you and I are looking in at this at the moment that no one has anything sourced regarding a ferry. So we, we'll we'll hope for the best. Um, maybe if there's somebody listening from uh, the department or indeed county hall or local councillors that they can shed any light and any up date on this uh, feel free to call us 0818103103 uh, Joseph we'll stay, stay in touch and hopefully there'll be better news by Friday if not we'll touch base early next week to see how indeed you are coping and how you are able to, to farm yeah. on Jersey Island without the cable car Thank you JP just let me let me speak just one more scenario I mean if people in County Hall and people in the department were facing a 30 or 40% cut in their wages 
how would they react? They would stand up and they would fight as well. We are facing the same scenario. I mean, we look after animals in the springtime. We want to get our sheep lambed and our cows calved to have to have stock to sell at the end of the year. I mean, that's a huge part of our of our our wages. I mean, we, these these people. Don't, I don't know if they really fully understand. I mean, it's a huge loss. Any one animal is a huge it's a huge it's a huge burden to replace. I mean, if you do several of them or multiple, I mean, it, it's going to cost an awful lot of money. It's going to take a huge effort. And you and others will be down money that you need to run your own lives. And as you say, without that, I mean, where do you go from here? Is there going to be a lot, a lot of people on the island will be losing out, not only from their farming life, but from a monetary point of view as well. And that won't be made up. I mean, the, the council or the department or the government won't be refunding them. No, no. I mean, if I lost a cow tomorrow morning or if my neighbours lost a cow or a sheep, a cow would, a decent cow in this day and age, you would be talking sixteen to eighteen hundred euros to replace the animal. If an animal dies in the island, you can't just ring a company and come and take them away. They have to be buried on the island. So that means, if, a, for example, now if an animal was lost on my farm, on our farm on the island, a department person would have to come and inspect that animal and say, "Yeah, look, the animal died of natural causes or whatever the case may be," and then I would have to come along dig a hole for the animal and bury the animal in the ground right beside wherever it was that the animal became deceased. On the mainland, you don't have that issue. A lot, a lot will come, be, the animal will be hoisted onto a skip and taken away and the, and the body properly disposed of. But we can't do that in Jersey Island. Yeah, and I mean, you'd wonder if anybody can actually get over now to, to even meet you from any of those departments that, that deal with those cases, yeah. you know, if, if anything was to rise like that. Uh, Joseph, yeah. we, we, we'll stay in touch. If we if we have any updates of it over the next few days, we'll bring those um, to listeners and hopefully things will, 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 will go in the right direction before Friday. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch on if not and how indeed a typical day then works for you next week without uh, the main route, as you say, the main roadway, which is the cable car to Jersey Island. For the moment, Joseph, thank Thanks for joining us. Thank you, JP. Thank you for your Thank time. You. very much. Uh, Joseph Sullivan there uh, of uh, on Jersey Islands and also uh, works full-time on Castletown Bear and just how his life will totally change if there's no route onto the island and the impact it has on the community there and the farming community. Anyhow, your views are welcome. 0818103103. Text or WhatsApp 0862103103. JP until one with Cork today. And our lines are open. Bernie, take in your calls and comments. Your views are welcome on 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and comments into the show. I'll get through those very shortly. We spoke earlier this morning on the show with Graeme Clifford and he's from a group, a cross-community group in the Blackwater region based in Fermoy who are welcoming Ukrainian refugees to the area who are fleeing war and uh, a number of people have been on my text asking, asking the, the question why people are fleeing war in Ukraine. They're wondering if the war refugees are coming to, for example Fermoy, where will they go? Uh, this person says Fermoy is a small town. Uh, well, that is the reason that they are organising this. They want to now set up a community hub 
and indeed discuss the issue tomorrow night at the public meeting in Fermoy and discuss it now and address concerns rather than when a number of, of those refugees arrive into not only Fermoy but any town and then people are asking questions at least they'll be planned and prepared uh, for the influx of people to the area and already there is a number of people in the area who have said and pledged that they will welcome those into their homes to live for be that a medium or indeed a long term uh, situation for the families that are uh, leaving Ukraine so that's the current situation there and the reason they are, are, have come up with this group is so they can forward plan and not end up in a situation where there is nowhere for people to go when at the moment people have pledged and they're opening their doors and their homes for those families. Eileen was on to us earlier when we mentioned uh, the COVID numbers being so high and the increasing numbers 40,000 in the last three days have tested positive on uh, results coming back on PCR and antigen tests and with that Eileen was wondering should we close the pubs again at 8 o'clock and she was asking for people's views on that well uh, no one in Greens uh, with you Aline everybody thinks at this stage leave uh, everything the way it is and the government are thinking along the same lines because they have no uh, there's no appetite anyhow in government to reintroduce any measures uh, on that John says that there is no one in pubs anyhow and you could close them because at five euro a point, who can afford that? While another person making the same point, John uh, has said, is that pubs are a lot quieter at the moment because people can't afford the price of drink and there is no appetite for restrictions as we have heard. But on masks, because Joe made a point earlier about that people need to be responsible and need to have some cop on regarding mask wearing. He feels there's too much of an entitlement in today's society and that people are all I want, I want. He says, people today across all generations are like spoilt children and on the issue of mask wearing well this person on WhatsApp says no that bloke that bloke is Joe is not right if he wants to wear a mask that's fine but how dare he say people need to be responsible people would want to mind their own business and look after themselves the flu will not be going anywhere soon says the person on WhatsApp I am a very responsible person and if I feel I might have to wear a mask I will while Ellen says hi JP I think masks mandate should be brought back it didn't hurt and it did help protect us you would think everyone would have a booster or a third shot by now but I read today and indeed only yesterday that only 50% of people in hospital have availed of this says Ellen on WhatsApp Tom is in Watergrass Hill and Tom feels people should decide for themselves if they want to wear a mask or not but he does not want another lockdown and no one wants another their lockdown Tom uh, and that's why when that was mentioned at government they have no uh, um, measures in place to bring back anything that was in place over the last two years by way of restrictions that won't be happening uh, and no one wants another another lockdown again like we had uh, but there is an issue of mask wearing and that's what the issue has been raised this morning on the show should we wear masks or not and Joe feeling people should but there is mixed views and people feel it's up to them if they do want to wear a mask or if they don't want to wear a mask Mary in Rathcool says she was at a show last week and very few were wearing masks at this show she then went to Killarney last weekend and she saw no one in a large department store wearing a mask and then she went along to a supermarket 
And she said no staff were wearing a mask within the supermarket. So where do you go from there? Uh, Tom in Mallow says we have been locked down for long enough. Tom will not wear a mask ever again. The government is aiming for herd immunity. And if we all catch it, we will be stronger, feels Tom in Mallow. And on the issue of COVID, the dance that was due to take place in the CYMS Hall in Newmarket for Friday night, that is now being called off, as is the dance that was due to go ahead in Clondrahad Hall, uh, Clondrahad near McCroom, course on Sunday that is now off as well uh, due to COVID and that's coming in from John Joe Hurley and they're off until further notice. Now we spoke with Timmy uh, just after 11 o'clock and this was regarding the issue of uh, people who would have gone to schools over not even I was going to say over the 80s and 90s but this is still happening today unfortunately uh, who have been in school and were never assessed or diagnosed if they had certain conditions and one of those we spoke about was dyslexia and people feel that they would have been and have been in a classroom have been frustrated not knowing why they can't learn as fast as the person sitting next to them and then later in life uh, they have been diagnosed and they've been told they are dyslexic and Timmy Long who joined us after 11 o'clock was telling us his own story and how his life he feels could have been totally different if he had been given a diagnosis during primary school. He now is organising a walk to a wider education and he's hoping this walk will raise funds to provide the necessary assessments in three schools on the city north side so that students can be diagnosed if they uh, are dyslexic and they can get the help they need and that teachers can deal with them and know how to deal with them so they get a better start in life. And we also opened up the whole I suppose argument of the leaving search and how the leaving search is, is tough that you know you must study for two years and maintain and retain all that information uh, that you are studying for a big exam at the end of that two years but not only two years it's really six years of work uh, that you're trying to educate and learn which works for some people to do that but some we just simply cannot keep and retain that information and that's how some people do fantastically in their leaving search and some of us don't and then those that don't uh, still go on to make uh, and make a good life for themselves but also have fantastic careers and that is due to to the fact that they're able uh, like a lot of us when we go to college it's continuous assessments we have no problem with continuous assessments uh, but having a style like the leaving search poses a problem uh, and it opened up a lot of people who came on to us afterwards uh, by phone and text and agree with Timmy and can identify with Timmy they they know people in their classroom who was like Timmy and they said they themselves were like Timmy whereby they could not learn and could not f- understand why they felt they were a lesser person in the classroom because they weren't learning as fast as the person person sitting next to them or their own best mates well on that D says I feel like Timmy's sister half my problem was not understanding what was asked it was the volume of learning expected by the education board it was too much and too much pressure on young heads my daughter is already nervous and I myself had a nervous breakdown after leaving school and what was worse I did not have the pressure of mobile phones and smartphones we really need to change views and open up an equal platform form of learning for all. It was a great topic, John Paul. That's from D on WhatsApp to 0862103103. While Mossy uh, says on WhatsApp, the media has a huge role to play regarding people's issues. The inspirational uh, Timmy Long, who was on your show earlier, is sharing his issues and story. And sharing is the most important key word in the vocabulary and indeed in the dictionary. If I didn't share my innermost mental health issues to a trusted person, I 
doubt I would be texting you today. By sharing things, it leads to greater positivity and indeed a greater journey. That is fact. Uh, thank you, says Mossy uh, on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And on Jersey Island, we got the, um, well, the exact what's happening on the island uh, without a cable car at the end of this week and what life would be like without that cable car for locals who live on the island and those who may be from the island but are living elsewhere and still work on the island, work on the family farm, feed the animals and what it will mean to them now not to have the cable car and the links that they will have to go to to get from the mainland to the island. You can, I know there's going to be a ferry option. Um, how that ferry option will work, I don't know. Uh, maybe not by the, the council or indeed uh, the department but there will be some type of ferry option organised by locals but that can't run all the time because of the Jersey Sound and crossing the Jersey Sound and the weather conditions. A lot of people agreeing with what Joseph is saying. First of all, a texter here is saying if you live and work on an island like that, you should have your own means on getting onto it, says that person, while somebody else is saying this is going to have a knock-on effect for tourism as well. And I, I know a lot of tourists who go to this area during the summer. Now they won't be able to visit uh, the Jersey Island and it will have a knock-on effect to the entire area. This is Magella in Bantry to 0862 103 103. Your views are welcome. You can call Bernie on 0818103103. But keep your phone in your hand for the text now because all this week... We're giving you the chance to win with the Celtic Ross Hotel located in stunning Ross Carberry. They're celebrating 25 years in business and we've got amazing prizes to give away every day including afternoon tea, leisure centre membership, dinner and overnight stays with the Celtic Ross Hotel celebrating 25 years of hospitality in Ross Carberry. See CelticRossHotel.com We're giving you a trivia question based on the last 25 years. If you know the answer to this question text in the answer along with your name where you are to 0862103103. Today's prize is three months leisure centre membership at their fantastic leisure centre at the Celtic Ross Hotel. The trivia question from 2002 in this year we saw a massive change in currency in Ireland. We welcomed the euro, but what currency did we stop using? in 2002. If you think you know, text the answer along with your name where you are to 0862103103. You win yourself three months leisure centre membership at the Celtic Ross Hotel celebrating 25 years of hospitality in Ross Carberry. See CelticRossHotel.com The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing community and business supports all across the county. See CorkCoco.ie Rahan National School are fundraising to extend the play area and to create a biodiversity trail. You can support the raffle which takes place on this Friday or go to their I Donate page. Shambalimore Bingo takes place every Tuesday night at the new earlier time of 8 o'clock. That's for this evening also and the jackpot there is €1,550. St Mary's Secondary School in Mallow. Their transition year students are holding a fashion show on this coming Thursday. It starts at 7.45pm in the school hall hall and tickets are 10 euros and 5 euros for under 12s and Ahakira Drama Group present the play Drinking Habits in Clondrohad Community Centre on this coming Friday night at 8 o'clock tickets are on sale locally or on the door on the night 
Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Jokes made about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, from Chris Rock has led to Will Smith slapping him across the face at the Oscars, but it's opened up the conversation about the condition of alopecia. And while Rock, when he made those comments, he was unaware, he said anyhow, about her condition. And while we discussed yesterday what happened at the Oscars, we've discussed now the idea of someone who may be in that situation of losing their hair. And some people are very embarrassed when that happens. Well, Paddy Pinder is from Alopecia, Ireland and joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Paddy. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. I mean, first of all, just your own background because yesterday when we were discussing this, obviously people had their own views on what happened on stage at the Oscars. But the bigger picture here is people who do suffer hair loss and a lot of people have said in the past when they've been out and about at events, they have had remarks thrown at them and they felt quite embarrassed because whether you're male or female, if you are losing your hair, it's a quite a sensitive issue. It's, it's a very sensitive issue. And the first thing I, I never understand is why somebody feels they need to comment, firstly. True, yeah. <laughs> and secondly, that we would, how that would take an impact on us, on anybody, right? And it's, it's an amazing feature when you go out anywhere that people look and stare and that's fine the, the looking and staring is one thing I mean as I said to somebody what should those a girl with purple hair going down the street I looked and stared at that we do look and stare because that's what we we see everything outside ourselves but when they pass a comment it's a little bit further than just the look it can impede on people particularly vulnerable people who maybe are so self-conscious it could be the first day going out without their wig and somebody passes a comment that could set them back absolutely months in their confidence. And that's what we have heard from our listeners as well is the confident factor mm. whereby you know what is happening to your body for a certain reason. Uh, people lose their hair and you're trying to work on that yourself and your inner confidence and then you go out for the first time and it's thrown back at you. And it's, you know, it, it can happen to a person hair loss for a, a number of various reasons, yeah. whether it's due to stress or, or diet and, you know, for alopecia, no one really knows the exact yeah. reason and, and those what I've mentioned have been associated with it. I mean, just your own story of your own background with alopecia. Um, I lost all my hair in 2011 and it happened within a week. They have no idea why it happened. I've no idea why it happened. And the assumption around stress is an easy one just to throw out because nobody can actually nail that down. But we do know that the body encounters some level of trauma positive or negative trauma, that that will cause the hair to, to fall. For some of us, the hair will grow back, and for others, it won't. But there's a huge factor. One is the not knowing. We don't know why it happens, and we have no way of fixing it with confidence. Huge research is going on, which is fantastic. In the 10 years, 11 years since it happened to me, the, the, the amount of research has been phenomenal, and I've posted a lot of that on the website Alopecia Ireland but there's more going on and I'd always encourage people to take part in any of the research projects that we send out links to because the more we learn about this the better chance we have of finding an answer right but for myself when it fell out I just there was no chance to make a decision about what to do I had to just have a week straight away because it was so dramatic 
But then after a year or more, I decided I would I just wear the wig when I have to, which would be in a situation where the focus must be taken off what I am doing and onto other people. So if I'm at home, obviously I wouldn't wear it. If I'm, I'm doing things that I, that I enjoy or with family, I'd never wear it. In fact, the, the, the younger members of the family wouldn't recognise me with the hair on. Do you know? And when you were out then and about wearing the wig, I mean, were you conscious people may recognise that you were wearing a wig or, or how did that well, work you know for yourself? If, if they don't know you're wearing a wig, I don't know what. I'd be sending them the spec savers, do you know? <laughs> like greedy. But some people don't. Yeah. They don't. Uh, you, know, you know, I can't figure out how they wouldn't notice. But that's how, that's how self-conscious we can be about it. We assume everybody. We, a lot of times you, you just assume they're flashing lights around it. Because it is uncomfortable. You're constantly, you're not constantly, but you're very often aware that it's there. And were you very aware then when your hair was falling out? I mean, was when I mentioned there from people's experiences, were you very aware of going out knowing that? Oh yeah, the comments yeah. that you might get. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Like you know, you're going bald. Like yes, I do know. <laughs> and were they said to you? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh God, they would. You have to build an extra layer around yourself that will stop you in those impacting. But we we all have our own mechanisms for dealing with it. But it is extremely hurtful. And I would be worried about some people who take every single comment on board. Now, I, the water off ducks back to me at this stage, but it takes a long time to get to that. It takes an awful long time. Like I know one man, a pal of mine, and he didn't go out for three years. His wife and kids will go places and he'd stay home. That's awful. Dreadful. That's dreadful. Just because of yeah. what people may yeah. or, or, or may not say to him, yeah. but, you know, more than likely people will comment, unfortunately. And for some it. people, it, it can be very, it can be a very painful condition for, for a lot it of is. people. And I, yeah. hair, we, we may not know, but a lot of people who have been in a hospital situation for, for various things like thyroid will know that hair can actually regulate your body temperature. So it without is. hair, there can be a huge change in your entire yeah. body. And is that something that you went through yourself? I do every day. Like if the here where I am, the sun comes in in the afternoon, so it's extremely warm, and I'm in bits with the heat. In the, in the morning, it's cold and I'm frozen. So I have layers of clothes because you wear layers just to, because you don't have the layers of skin and hair, the same as you do. But it, you, you go into waves of overheating and underheating. I, I often say these explanations, the thermostat is not working at all. Mm. So when the thermostat doesn't work, I can't regulate the perspiration, I can't regulate um, how the body reacts to the temperature change. So I, a few years ago, I took part in the Dublin City Marathon. I walked it and I went through three hats because I couldn't keep my head warm enough to keep moving, but dry enough because there's nothing to filter the, the perspiration. So you dehydrate quickly. Skin is always, for me, my skin is always sore. And I was just trying, trying to explain to somebody, it's uncomfortable going to lie down or sit down rest I have to get clothes for me now others wouldn't be as severe sometimes but to get clothes that will actually feel comfortable against my skin so I wear the pure cotton because anything else causes an irritation 
And I see that side of what you're explaining. There are a lot of people that are unaware that that totally comes unaware. with this. Totally, you know, they I, all think it's to do with the hair, but there is a, a wider uh, yeah. aspect to but it. I, I know eyebrows or eyelashes. So in the sunlight, in agony with the sun, right? Put sun cream on, it can't because it goes into my eyes. And that's very painful. See, I, I just wear hats that have a peak on them to keep the, the eyes protected. It's simple. There are solutions. We have workarounds. That's what we do. But everybody that I know that kind of feels the need to pass a common think is only about image. But the practical side of this is a very painful side to it. Yeah, and the, for the practical and the image then together, I mean, how are you today now with both? I mean, you, you explain your, your your condition regarding the clothing there. For those who have been on to us from yesterday and today following the story out of the Oscars and who may be embarrassed due to their losing their hair or hair loss, how are you dealing with that now yourself? As you say, is it water of a duck's back or do you take any notice when you go out and about or when people see you if you're not wearing a wig? If I'm not wearing it and people pass comments, I just smile at them. Because if somebody passes a comment and it's a negative one, I often wonder, like, what, what is really going on in their lives that makes them so angry or upset that they need to comment on other people? Very true. And I think that's the it's, way to look at it because, it's, it's you know... It's the only way you can, otherwise you can take it on board too much. So they have worse things going on. If I um, have all this kind of problem externalised, they're internalising an awful lot more that they feel then that the quick jibe the smart comment would be enough. And no need for the smart comment. It's There's just no been need. cruel. It's just it been is, totally cruel. It's cruel. It's unhelpful. Like some people are genuinely concerned. Like they see you on a cold day, you look very pale and you, look, you can look like a, you're just about to drop. And, you, you know, and I realised that after a while, but some people say, do you want to have to sit down? That's just kindness. I'd never knock that. But when people pass a comment, like, do you think they go in and cover themselves up? Or do you not think she got a feckin' wig or something? Excuse me. But, you know, they pass those comments. Who cares? Yeah, so no. It's not there. No need, no need at all for that. that the wig, like, I am allergic to certain wigs, so I could be just having a day where the wig has just caused one cut too many on my head. Yeah, and I see people don't understand that. I mean, you're outlining it there, but a lot of people don't understand, you know, the uh, regarding the wearing of a wig and what I can do, as you said there, regarding cuts and other, yeah. other issues. I mean, yeah. you know, unless you live through it, you, you won't be aware of it. But still, people think they can make and judge from the outside. And on that, a number of texts. And first of all, uh, Tommy, who agrees with everything you're saying, because Tommy says, a number of years ago, I had a thyroid issue I and did. thyroid trouble. Yeah. And it meant that he said, I lost a lot of chest hair and I lost the hair on my head but it wasn't patchy more than losing it mm. but yes I was mocked and it was hurtful because mm. I had patchy uh, hair on my head some of it grew some of it didn't grow but I had no control over this so I did go to the doctor and thankfully they found out after a few months it was a thyroid issue yeah. I'm doing well now my hair has grown back somewhat but I agree with Paddy the nastiness of yeah. some people that's what got to me more than the condition and, Yeah and, and Tommy's one I think is much harder than mine because I have nothing but the patchy you have they're holding on to the hope that it'll come back so I think that's harder mm. and people seem to think that well if it grows in that bit of your skin why don't you make it grow in the other there's something like we have a choice in this and we whereas don't. in mine I don't you know, I think mine it's easier 
Do you know, like children will ask me, like, you know, why do, why do you keep taking your hair, like shaving it? To say, I don't shave it, lovey. It just happens. Mm. And children will say it straight out anyhow. And children are great. There's no nastiness yeah. there. There's exactly yeah. And when you, and often what happens is when I explain to the child in simple terms, mom and dad listen. So then it's they, they get a better handle on it. Yeah, true, because yeah. sometimes you need to do it that way. Yeah. Amanda yeah. also says, no one should ever mock anyone's hair, but especially a woman's hair, as we take pride in our looks and indeed our hair. Uh, to do so is just disgusting. I really feel for what Patty has said. I can't believe people would talk to anybody like that. Another comments um, like Amanda's and Tommy's coming into us. Patty, th- thanks very much for joining us and giving us a, an insight to someone who is and has alopecia and what it's like, unfortunately, like was mentioned at the Oscars, is said to people, but it gives an understanding now to those who may not be in the know of what indeed people like yourselves yeah. go and if, through. If anybody out there has the condition, just and they want to get in touch, we have a you can subscribe to the mailing list, and we just send out an email once a month or so from meetings and things like that. So people want to get in touch or want a conversation, please do contact us on the internet. And they can do that on alopeciaireland.ie. Yeah, and thanks for the chance to talk about it and as well. Thank you, Paddy, for joining us and sharing your own story and enjoy the best rest of the day and hopefully uh, people won't be as um, as nasty to others oh, in a situation like you in the future. Thanks very much. Thanks, thanks very you. much. Thanks. Paddy Pender there, uh, who herself has alopecia, but also a part of Alopecia Ireland and just the overall conversation uh, coming up from the Oscars yesterday on, you know, if someone has or looks a certain way, uh, why do you feel the need to react to talk about how they look and in this instance it's to do with the lack of hair anyhow thank you for your calls and texts on the way we are going to be discussing the issue of trauma with our regular counsellor on the show Ger Heffernan joins us next Court today on C103 call Patricia with your comment 0818103103 and we're giving you a chance to win with the Celtic Ross Hotel across this week in stunning Ross Carberry celebrating 25 years in business and 25 years of hospitality in Ross Carberry. See CelticRossHotel.com. We're giving you trivia questions based on the last 25 years. And today's winner is going to win themselves three months membership to the Leisure Centre at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry. The question we asked was, in 2002, we all saw a massive change in currency in Ireland. We welcomed the euro, but what currency did we stop using? Of course, the answer was the punt. And well done to Ben Humston in Skibbereen winning yourself at that Leisure Centre membership at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carberry celebrating 25 years of hospitality see CelticRossHotel.com more ways to win on the show tomorrow and a number of texters on an item we did earlier on regarding a castle in Connor and the returning of opening that castle to tourism heritage and indeed live gigs a lot of people asking where is Connor? where would that castle be situated uh, Connor is the best way I can describe it location between castle lines and tallow uh, so if you're off the M8 motorway heading to Fermoy, that area between Castle Lines and uh, Tallow is the best way to describe where Kana is located. Hope I'm right with that. Uh, locals will agree or disagree anyway, I'm sure. But that's where, where I would explain it anyhow, between Castle Lines and indeed uh, Tallow. Now, Joe Heffernan joins us as he does every Tuesday on the programme. A very good afternoon to you, Joe. 
Good afternoon, John Paul. Joe, our regular councillor on the programme. And Joe, today we're going to discuss the issue of trauma. And of late, with everything going on regarding war, uh, more and more people are seeing trauma unfold on our TV screens from those who were uh, leaving Ukraine. And I suppose a lot of the time, Joe, it takes a critical incident uh, to deal uh, for people or for somebody to know how to deal uh, with uh, a trauma incident. And that's where they learn kind of, I suppose, on the first-hand experience, isn't it? Yeah, and um, I do a lot of work and uh, I teach as an approved instructor for the ICISF, the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation, um, based in uh, the University of Maryland in the in, in USA. And they would have a vast, vast amount of experience with um, returning uh, uh, soldiers from Vietnam and um, and indeed uh, Afghanistan more recently. So there would be a wealth of knowledge there about dealing with um, critical incidents. In fact, I'm doing a training in Cork um, very soon for an organization. Um, uh, I'm having my own bit of critical incident with that at the moment because the manuals for the course um, they're just uh, booklets, um, but they're held up anyway almost an entire month now in the customs, if you don't mind, oh, yeah. in Dublin. <laughs> okay, that and is. I'm trying to get FedEx, who brought them over for me, um, to clear it up. Um, it seems ludicrous, really. Couple of booklets. It's happening, know. yeah. It's happening. It, it seems to happen to certain items for some reason that just yeah. get stopped at customs. Some items just get Imagine. through, and some items get stopped. Uh, I don't know how they pick them, but they they do. I don't know either. And yeah. is that is it coming from the UK? Is it coming from USA? On oh, the USA, okay. Yeah, okay, never had any trouble before, but um, uh, and I need the books like to do the course. I mean, of it's course. a student yeah. manual for each student on the course. And um, there you are. I'm trying to get FedEx to clear it up. But uh, I'm not having a lot of joy. Well, hopefully, the, anyway. usually after a while they do, but it could take a few weeks. But I know oh, people have been in a similar sick. boat and, and yeah. they have arrived eventually. But it is it is a trauma in its own right, I suppose, John. Exactly. <laughs> well, a critical incident. Um, we hear so much about those words. It's A critical incident is an incident wherein or whereby a person's coping mechanisms are overwhelmed. Um, now, when we see the people, as you correctly point out, when we see the people who have just crossed the border, for example, from Ukraine uh, into uh, e.g. Poland, um, uh, yeah, the, 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 the amount of stress, the amount of um, uh, anguish on the faces and in the body movements and when they're interviewed, make it clear that um, in many cases their coping mechanisms are indeed um, overwhelmed. Um, Now, just to clarify, uh, a critical incident uh, which causes trauma need not necessarily be a huge event like the war in Ukraine. Like, um, for example, if a person um, was mugged or pickpocketed, or was involved in a road traffic accident. These can all lead to trauma, um, and for that person are a critical incident. So it's important to point that out, that it isn't always about, like, war and huge things. 
I remember way, way back, um, you know, the Butterfield uh, train crash. Um, now, that was huge and would have caused so much trauma at the time. But it can be that a person was walking along the street and was either um, uh, assaulted, attacked, or uh, robbed, or um, in in somewhere, or had a break in in their home. Um, those are very much um, critical incidents which can cause the uh, the classic symptoms of trauma, namely avoidance, intrusion, and hypervigilance. Now I'll do my best to explain uh, those three. Um, avoidance would be avoiding either people, places or things that remind the person or trigger the feelings of anxiety and fear caused by the event. Um, you'd often hear about um, somebody uh, having, um, uh, uh, having an old trauma triggered by... It, it could be anything. It could be... It could be a noise, it could be a statement, it could be a reminder in a program on the television, or whatever. Now, that's avoidance. Intrusion. We, we've all heard, I think, of flashbacks. Now, flashbacks are basically vivid and upsetting memories of the event. As it were, we can see it again in our mind's eye. Or we could be having a night's sleep and... The, we could have very, very upsetting dreams or nightmares um, about the event. Um, the nightmares would very often just be what we'll call anxiety nightmares. For example, if a person was robbed, um, it might be a nightmare about, say, I'm just making this up, say, a dog um, attacking um, a person. Um, uh, and you might say, but what would that have to do with the actual event? Uh, very little in reality of the event itself, but fear, being assaulted, being attacked, being um, uh, being in danger, um, that kind of um, thing. But the flashbacks could be very clear, vivid memories of the event that happened. And then hypervigilance would be being on red alert a lot of the time, being being quite jumpy scared, being extra watchful. You know, if somebody dropped um, a biro, um behind you on the floor, that you would have a startle response. In other words, like, um, whoops, what was that? Um, you know? Or a loud noise suddenly and that you might just jump because it reminds you of something Absolutely. that would have brought back memories of that noise. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. For example, like, I mean, um, families who have um, Ukrainian people, generous and wonderful families who have taken in um, uh, refugees from the Ukrainian uh, invasion um, would, uh, you know, would need to be aware of, um, you know, uh, loud noises would not be um, a good idea if you can avoid them. uh, we'll say that you have children uh, in the family from Ukraine and you have children of your own. And if they like to play with the PlayStation or Xbox and those, and you know the the usual games on those are like, I think one of them is called, I, I haven't a clue now because I, I, I never play any kind of computer games, but one I think is called Call of Duty. Oh, yeah. But 
Yeah. And the scene, kind of yeah, actually games. that's true. Though, those kind of scenes that they set in those games, yeah, they are war-type games. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, uh, that would be, um, gee, that would really trigger the, the trauma for um, young people who have just left the actuality of that kind of thing with explosions and noises and bombs. Um, you know, God help them, it's been... You know, it will take a long, long, long time to get over that, even if, um, if even if peace um, or some kind of ceasefire uh, was arranged, and hopefully, please God, it will be. I believe they're talking at the moment. I think in Turkey, um, it would be wonderful if it could all stop. It would be, it would be fantastic if it would. Not oh, too sure if, yeah. if these current talks will make any difference, but hopefully, talks over the next few weeks will. Uh, but you're right—a simple game that someone might be playing in a household, and if you have taken in a Ukrainian family and your son or daughter are playing this game, it, it could be very easily triggered because they have gone through the actual event, whereas you're playing the game of trying to get out of a, a war scenario on the various games like Call of Duty or whatever. So that, that, that is one thing that people might not have thought about. So that, that, that's something to think about yeah. if you are bringing in those families. Joe, next week we're going to continue on with this uh, conversation of trauma because you teach these uh, courses, as you mentioned there, at the start on critical incident stress management. So we're going to look at... How in how we suppose first of all family and friends, but overall everyone can try and do certain things when it comes to trauma, and we'll look at those on the show next week. Absolutely, very good, yes. Joe. Well, thank you for that. Uh, enjoy your week, and we'll chat to you next Tuesday on the program. Take Thanks, care, John Paul. That is a uh, Joe Heffernan there, an accredited counsellor based in Boerbui, and you can contact Joe on oh eight six eight three four eight one four five. That's it from us today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced. I'm John Paul McNamara. Enjoy your. Tuesday afternoon I nearly forgot what day it was we're back with you tomorrow morning from 10am for Wednesday's edition of Cork Today have a great afternoon take care now Flexibility is great that's why there's yoga Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.